Montel here, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we normally talk about everything and anything cannabis, see if we can give you the right information to help you navigate this incredibly daunting landscape of cannabinoids and cannabis that's being offered up in about 37 states across the country. And a lot of people are really trying their best to get some information to see if they can make good choices for themselves and their families. But today, we're going to take a little turn to the right. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the right, because joining us today, I'm going to be talking to, again, my senior advisor, Mr. Jonathan Franks. And Jonathan started his career in Washington, D.C. at the law firm of Williams and Connolly before moving to the majority leader's office in the House of Representatives before moving to California to start his own law firm that was called Lucid Strategies. And he's worked with me ever since. And he's back on Let's Be Blunt today to talk about an issue I think that's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. We're here to talk about something that's going on right now in this era of COVID-19 it's masks, guys. And we've seen all the videos of, of Americans decompensating in grocery stores and hardware stores and everywhere in between going off because they feel like they're losing control of their personal space because somebody's telling them it's time to wear a mask. And I don't know whether or not people are getting it or not. But if you look at every other country in the world where they made masks mandatory, we see that their, their curves have either flattened out or gone down so, so insignificantly. You look at uh, South Korea. South Korea is literally down at almost zero cases, and they started masks on day one. But here in the United States, we are still arguing about this issue as if, you know, uh, it, it has something to do with personal choice and personal infringement on your rights. So please welcome Mr. Jonathan Franks to Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. John, so good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me. You look good. You look like you're doing well. You're coming to me from where? I'm coming to you from Northeast Indiana today. Northeast Indiana. And John, tell me a little bit. Now, in Northeast Indiana, are people having a hard time out there understanding the need for masks? I think some people are, and I think they're loud, right? And I think, you know, yes, some of this is the result of a politicization of masks, which is silly. Some of it is about displacing frustration with the current environment and fear on masks. And some of it is just, you know, conspiracy theories, some of which have been planted on Facebook by foreign governments, things like one of these masks here, you know, can give you carbon monoxide poisoning. So I'm going to show you right now, I've got a pulse oximeter on. And if you look real carefully, I'm at 98% on my SpO2 right now on room oxygen. There's no fancy oxygenator in my house there. I am at 99, right? I'm now going to put on the most suffocating of all masks in N95, which no civilian is being asked to wear, by the way. Um, these are more for medical people, things like that. I have got this mask when I uh, redid my garage. So as you can see, I hope everybody can still hear me, right? My oxygen level is fine. And, you know, Walmart, oops, let me look at a reading here. And I will continue to wear this mask uh, as Montel talks to me. And at the end, we'll see where my SpO2 is. Um, maybe we'll even add, I've got some other masks here. Maybe we'll even put more masks on as we go. Well, look, in the most comprehensive study to date, published earlier this month in The Lancet, scientists found a strong evidence that widespread use of face masks, particularly N95 respirators, would result in large reduction of inf infection risk. And researchers placed a caveat on the study in so much as it was impossible to conduct a, a randomized double-blind study, 
But even recent information that's been given out on the, you know, almost every news channel has stated that finally they've decided that not only do masks help protect the other people in society, it will help actually protect you as the individual. If you wear a mask, you will, you will probably see a 30 to 50% less chance of being able to actually contract the COVID-19 virus. Exactly. And, you know, Again, I'm wearing one of the most intense of them all, right? These are what our healthcare workers, our paramedics, our first responders wear, right? They actually do, you know, change the, you know, they filter much more. And still, I mean, is it comfortable wearing this thing? It's not. It's pinching my nose. It's making my eyes bunch up, right? I look ridiculous and I don't like it, right? But I'm wearing it because, you know, um, at the moment, I live in an area of the country that has done pretty well with COVID, right? We have... Um, you know, pretty good testing. I've been tested twice here in Indiana. Uh, it's free. You schedule online. They're doing a pretty good job. But when I go to the grocery store, nobody's wearing masks. It's as if we beat the thing. And, you know, we do live in a county here that has, that is adjacent to a lot of poultry and meat packing plants, right? Which is a known sort of epicenter of, you know, COVID infection. And I really do believe that all folks need to do, all we need to do right now wear masks in public, right? And just be smart. And, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot to ask because I think a lot of the controversy about masks is, you know, displaced frustration from the lockdown, from losing jobs, from financial uncertainty, right? But, you know, I listened to, you know, people in our area took a poll on Facebook, right, about and said that if a particular school district had a mask policy in August when they come back, 40% 40% of these parents said they weren't going to send their kids back. And that's insane. I mean, it borders on child abuse and you know, it's just, it's not responsible. So really if all we have to do till we get a vaccine is wear a mask in public, right? That's not much to ask. Well, hold on a second. I'm, I'm going to slow you down for a minute because the first thing you said was you're wearing a mask. You look ridiculous. No, you don't look ridiculous. You do not look ridiculous. I don't understand why, First off, anybody is upset over the the way you look. You look like you got on a mask, which means you look like you're trying to be safe. So that's A. B, I'm going to differ with another thing you said was that, you know, you think some of these people are, are, are fuming and going off about masks because they feel as if someone's restricting their personal right. Well, I think someone's restricting, you're trying to restrict my personal rights and being able to be out in public if you don't wear a mask. That's A. And B, where we now understand that scientifically it has been proven to reduce the spread of COVID, why would we not like to just take a two-week period of time, everybody wears a mask all day long, every day for two and a half weeks to three weeks, you'd reduce the transmission between people across the entire country and we could end up like people in South Korea or in uh, you know, uh, Taiwan, places where now we've seen that the transmission rate has gone down to close to zero. Right. And, you know, when you talk about South Korea, right, and they've done a good job, Japan has too, right? Those sort of what I would call the three major industrialized Asian countries, you know, um, and I'd even include China in that. So let's make it four, right? Um, They have been a mask society since SARS, right? And, you know, part of it is because their air quality, part of it is because they got, you know, they learned a lesson from SARS, right? And here we are in the, you know, SARS-1, right, that what we all remember from, what, 15 years ago, wasn't easily transmitted between humans, didn't spread very well, right? Now we have a respiratory SARS, you know, COVID-2, you know, SARS-2, 
that trans, you know, it's incredibly transmissible. And not only that, a lot of people that are transmitting it don't have any symptoms, so therefore don't know that they're transmitting it. And, you know, it's even more a reason. And, you know, I think the people, whenever you see some bad behavior in society, right, look at who's winning because of it. Who's winning because of this sort of hyper-politicization of masks, right? You know, who's, who's fanning the flames on social media? Foreign actors, right? The Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, people that take delight in America in chaos. And one of my frustrations with these people who are politicizing masks is you're handing a win to our enemies. And, you know, whose goal it is, and I think they're running the most successful foreign intelligence operation in the history of the world, and, you know, have led folks off of a cliff. And, you know, they benefit because of a weakened United States. And these folks are playing right into it. And so is the president, quite frankly. They're taking advantage of the fact that he might be the most vain person on earth. Apparently, his opposition to masks is entirely that he doesn't think he looks good in one. And which is really kind of incredible to me that people want to follow his lead because he said he doesn't think he looks good in one. He said those words. How can you follow someone who has nothing to do with science, has nothing to do with, you know, uh, validated science that proves that it slows the transmission? He just says, I don't think I look good. And first off, uh, that orange dude doesn't look good to begin with. So I I don't quite understand why someone uses him as a reference for, you know, beauty. It's really kind of stupid. Yeah. And I mean, the folks are blindly following the leader. That's part of the problem, right? I think masks are a symptom of a maturity crisis in the country where we have something to do. This whole sort of, I think, Trump experiment with sort of white grievance has been fascinating for some people, but it's now come back to roost, right? We've got a guy who doesn't know what he's doing, right? Uh, Facing an enemy that is much tougher than him, right? That isn't a state actor that you can't, you know, he can't tweet away a virus. He can't bully away a virus, right? Like, and you know, um, at this point, his narcissism and fragile psyche are leading his followers, some of whom are friends and neighbors of mine who are good people, right, off of a cliff and into making terrible decisions for themselves. Think as they, as I hear constantly, oh, COVID's over. Uh, well, we're in stage whatever, right? And masks are optional, right? This is sort of like, you know, the shutdown. And when you... We, we've had a policy problem. We've been doing shutdowns a week at a time, two weeks at a time, whatever, right? Because they're the, the most ignorant among us are the loudest among us, right? And in a lot of these states, mine included, that policymaking has sort of coddled ignorant people, right? Because they're the loudest, the people that won't send their kids back to school if they have to wear a simple little surgical mask like this, right? And the rest of us are suffering as a result. And you know, to me, I hear a lot of whining about kids' athletics and whatever and how much we've taken away from our kids, right? I was at a 17U baseball tournament 10 days ago, right? Not a single adult, right, was wearing a mask. Not a single one. And they're all complaining about how their kids' season may be interrupted, and they're not willing to do the one thing that's going to make it likely to complete, Don't understand. We don't complain about the fact that, what, about 15 years ago, we decided that, you know, no longer we're going to allow people to smoke indiscriminately on airplanes. And we decided we weren't going to allow people to smoke indiscriminately anymore in restaurants or in other public settings where we know that secondhand smoke was causing 
a higher cancer rate. And we've seen the cancer rates go down when we started cutting back on the ability for people to smoke in a way we want. We also see the fact that more people survive now in uh, automobile accidents because we require in every state that you wear a seatbelt. You know, is the seatbelt comfortable? Does the seatbelt look cool? No. But does it protect and save lives? Absolutely. This should be considered no different than the seatbelt or anti-smoking laws. I mean, you know, uh, or a helmet law for motorcycles. Yeah, you know, in some states decided to go ahead and let people not wear helmets. And we see the fact that, you know, concussive injury and, and things like that have gone up or at least stayed as high as they were in those states where people are not required to wear a helmet on a motorcycle. So why is it that we have to be so adamant and draw a line in the sand on something like this, I just watched the news uh, story the other day, uh, yesterday, of people standing up at a, a town hall meeting, or at a, a uh, you know a, a town legislative meeting, just screaming at those legislators and screaming at those city officials because they decided to pass an ordinance that requires them to wear a mask. How childish can we be, John? That's that's really what I would call it: is childish and ignorance, right? And as you see here, I've been sitting, uh, talking up a storm, right, with my N95 mask on, right? And as you can see, my O2 sats are still at 96, and that's probably just a machine error. If I make it closer to my nail, it'll probably go up, right? And do I sell? I don't have carbon monoxide poisoning. I'm not about to faint. That's just, that's all, quite frankly, bullshit. And then they're just excuses, right? We want our kids to go back into school in the fall. We want a return as much as possible to a normal society. I don't understand what's so hard, right? We All we have to do is wear a mask and perhaps not go out to bars, right? Considering that bars are a public health threat in and of themselves, right? I'm not 100% sure. Like, yes, do we need to take care of restaurant owners and such as they're losing money? Absolutely. We want our favorite restaurants to survive. How about we help them survive rather than, than, than letting them reopen their bar areas? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Well, I mean, we've now noticed down here in Florida, you know, we had open bars and they've decided to close them again because, you know, in a couple of settings across the state, there have been large groups of people who've gone out to have parties and the entire party ends up with COVID-19. And and we're starting to see here in Florida that the mean age is now below 35 of people who are actually becoming more sick and requiring some form of medical care. It used to, it was above 35. Now it's below 35. So, you know, clearly, you know, and, and a lot of the bars down here are now closing. Now we're going to have restaurants remain open. And some of the bars down here are open for takeaway. So you can go in and grab your drink, go out and hopefully not go out and sit in your car, but go down the street, go out someplace, go away from the bar to consume your alcohol, take it back home if you want. Great. And I think that's, 
you know, those are sort of smart. Once we start are able to sit down at a table and have a common sense discussion, those are great examples of things that we can do to that, that aren't unduly risky to public health that can make things feel more normal, right? I'm not against bars being open, right? Like, I don't understand how you can be at a bar and be safe right now, right? I don't understand how I could be at the Jacksonville Convention Center for a political convention without masks and be safe, right? And I think we are seeing right now the danger, right, of incompetent leadership and self-interested leadership, right? And we're, um, instead of telling folks what we needed to do to get through this, right, he's trying it the easy way. He's hoping to shoot the moon and have COVID not go bananas so that we have to close schools again. Closing schools are the metric. And if he has to close schools again, the economy craters again, he knows he's out of a job. The interesting thing is he's, for somebody who's apparently desperate to get reelected, all he had to do was literally the solution to this is wear masks, hand sanitizer, and not act like an idiot in groups of hundreds of people, right? And I just don't see it as that hard. And, you know, I have two grandfathers that fought in World War II and Korea respectively. Much more was asked of them than has been asked of me. All I'm being asked to do is be slightly uncomfortable at times. I, I, you know, but, but John, let's talk about this. This really isn't what the issue is. I, I've been, you and I have arguments all the time. I say that the issue really is about the right to hate. I mean, you have a guy out here who is the president of the United States who literally does everything and anything he can do to rile up those people who are the most hateful people in our society and give them reasons to step up and hate. Now I'm going to hate you because you're telling me I have to wear a mask. I'm going to hate you because you're telling me that I can't get together with 25,000 people in a room. I'm going to hate you because, you know, uh, I don't get to step out of my front yard with my gun and point it at protesters if I don't like them. Why is this happening in America today? I don't. And again, I do think that there is a hate motive, right? And with a lot of people, right? I don't know what, there's a big difference in subconscious, you know, hate that's beneath the surface and, and intentional hate, right? And we have both going on. And it's a powerful and insidious drug, right? I actually think, you know, that abortion politics are just as toxic as racism, right? Because they lead people to elect incompetent folks for one reason and one reason only. And, you know, um, I, I think that, I am horrified by what I call all these, this, this sort of epidemic of angry white people, right? I'm not going to pretend I'm sitting here today that I wasn't born on third base, right? I, like to not acknowledge that would be insane, right? It would be, it, it would be egotistical and insane, right? So I don't understand what I as a white man have to be that angry about, right? You know what really makes me angry is when I have to sit and watch and be embarrassed by these other white people running around being racist, you know, that, you know, went out and elected a president that spent an entire weekend while the world was on fire defending the Confederacy. That's not my heritage, right? I'm white as the day is long. That is not my heritage. That was a bad idea. We don't memorialize bad ideas, right? Especially when the intent is to intimidate people. And these folks are focused on the Confederacy. Why? Because it's a safe space for them. They don't have to think about anything hard because they're, you know, they, they're lazy, right? They, they don't have to think about anything hard. They don't know how to fix COVID. They don't pay any attention, right? They don't know how to fix the problems in the world, right? The, the, the international problems we face, you know, Russian aggression, Chinese aggression, North Korean aggression, Iranian aggression. None of these people have a clue about any of those things. They probably couldn't put it on a map. So the rallying call is 
you know, this crap about heritage, the Confederacy being a heritage. It's not. I mean, I, I don't understand why you're proud of the heritage of losers, rapists, murderers, pillagers, and traitors. I mean, where do we get pride in the fact that there are people who were so hateful and wanted to continue to rape their slaves so much that they wanted to keep slavery in place, and you're proud of that? Explain that to me. I don't get how. How are you proud of that? How are you proud? The only of explanation, people? right? You have to remember the motive in putting many of these things up, right? It was well after the Civil War and into the 20th century where these things were being pulled put up, ostensibly just to remind black people what life was really like, right? And you know, um, yes, should we be renaming bases that are named after Confederate generals? Yeah. Does that mean that we ought to be uh, taking, you know? canceling George Washington? Of course not, right? I think there's a huge difference for, in memorializing people um, in spite of their flaws and memorializing people because of their flaws. And memorializing Confederates are memorializing people because of their flaws. They went to war with their own country over the right to own other people. This isn't a heritage that I'm proud of. And this is something that the rest of the world actually did deal with. Look, I got to do something. I got to take a little break, pay a couple of bills. Let me do that, John, and we'll be right back to finish the discussion. I want to ask you a little bit about a recent article that came out about Dear Generation Z, which are, you know, this generation that's out there right now. I guess that's a generation that is between the ages of like 19 and 28, uh, Generation Z. And, you know, a lot of them are starting to feel like, you know, they haven't given up on America, but they pretty much or thinking it might be a good idea to give up on America. What's your, your, your thing say? My thing says, as we conclude this part of it, I am still at 96. Normal blood oxygen is 92 to 100, and I am just fine. Well, John, look, i got to pay a couple of bills, so uh, I want you to do me a favor. Put on the masks that they want the kids to wear, and let's look at your oxygen meter after that. I'll take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Well, again, thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where today's guest is Mr. Jonathan Franks. And Jonathan Franks is our senior advisor to Montel Williams Enterprises and also to Let's Be Blunt. And Jonathan has been on before. And today we're talking about something a little bit to the right of uh, normal uh, Let's Be Blunt conversations about cannabis. We're talking about COVID-19 in an era where all of a sudden doing something right for everyone is something wrong. And that's I'm talking about wearing a mask. And so, uh, John, you've been, uh, we took a little break and you changed over and put the mask on that uh, most schools are going to require kids to use if they go back in the fall. And you have one your oxygen meter, right? You have one your oxygen I meter? I do have my oxygen meter still. And let's take a look at it. Hold it still right there. And your oxygen meter is at 98%. And the reason why you're wearing this oxygen meter is because there's this false information out there that says that if you wear a mask, you are going to get CO2 poisoning. Is that not right? That is, I, I've heard that a lot. And from well-meaning people that love their kids, like these are not bad people, right? These are not the people that are having meltdowns in Trader Joe's. They honestly believe this because they've been misled. So as you can see in the, in this surgical mask, right? I bought these on amazon.com. Nothing really special about them, right? My SpO2 is 97. So let's see what happens if I take the kid's mask right? Or the surgical mask, which I think most kids will have to wear going back to school, a KN95, which is the Chinese version of an N95, right? And while we talk about Generation Z, um, does make it a little harder for me to hear you. 
a little hard to get over my ears, to be honest with you. Um, and we'll put the N95 on the boot. So you have on three masks right now. So if anybody's going to have a problem and have some CO2 poisoning, it would be you right this minute, right? Oh, people are going to hate me for this, right? I'm going to get trolled on Twitter for this forever, but I don't really care. Um, uh, uh, okay. I don't think you can get them all three on. At the same oh, time. I can. This one is being a pain. There we go. There we go. All right, we can all basically accept that I've got three masks on, right, at the moment. Um, let's put my thing on here. Put this up for everybody to see. Hopefully everybody can see let's it. Let's tell it. 99% wearing three, an N95 mask from 3M, and just because somebody's going to be crazy and say he didn't do both straps. Both straps now. Um, proper mask wearing. Right. right. Let's see. It's about to come up. It's 96, right? It'll probably come up over time. And 97. So just in case anybody's still worried about sending their kids to school in a mask, like, hello, I'm alive. I don't feel like I'm going to pass out. It's crazy uncomfortable and hot under all these masks, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to faint. And at the same time, we now know that the science and data does prove that it reduces the risk of being able to contract COVID-19 by wearing a mask for yourself and for those around you. There's no question, right? And so do I wear a mask? You know, am I one of those people that drives and wears a mask, you know, riding solo in a car? Of course not, right? That's silly. But, you know, I had to drive around a, a friend of mine in uh, Chicago back in the end of May. I darn well wore a mask while he was in the car out of respect for him. Right. And I mean, what, how hard is it really at the end of the day? I mean, how much does that take away from your dignity? How much does that take away from your liberty if, by just putting a mask on your face to protect? And if we all did it, let's say we, let's say that we lived in a perfect world and everybody in the United States for the next three weeks put on a mask, I would guarantee you, but without any hesitation, I think I can say this. I guarantee you that we'd see our transmission rates go down and we see our curve not only flatten out, but we'd see it go down to the levels of places like South Korea and, and uh, Taiwan. It's sort of like, hello, people, wake up. It's a pandemic. This is really serious. It's going to be inconvenient at times, right? We can make it less inconvenient by simply following rules, right? My favorite store in this area is Menards Hardware right? This is owned by a gentleman named John Menard, one of the top donors to the Republican Party in the modern era, right? He put up signs literally at the very beginning of the pandemic. You ain't coming in here without a mask. And there were security guards. They sell them for 99 cents at the thing. Everybody wears a mask and there's a security guard right there at the door to make sure. And I watched people have meltdowns the first couple of days. People are getting it now, right? And so the lack of leadership here is. But wait, when you say, wait, 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 sorry. When you say you watch people have meltdowns, I do not understand. What are you talking about? People walk up and they see the sign and they start screaming. I watched a middle-aged to potentially maybe six, maybe to her sixties, you know, lady have a, at least a two minute meltdown at a teenage kid that was working at Menards Hardware, Right over being asked to wear a mask and the indignity of having to spend 99 cents. Well, if sometimes when you don't plan as an adult and you don't like 
plan properly, it's expensive to deal with it on the spot, right? So yeah, she had to spend 99 cents on a mask. Color me not really very sympathetic. I, I just, but I, yeah, but you know, you're going to start screaming and yelling. At a kid. This was a kid, 17, 18, probably senior in high school, right? Who was doing a job, right? And normally collects shopping carts, right? And instead was reminding all these poorly behaved adults that they had to comply with the store's rules. And quite frankly, I feel quite safe shopping in Menards, right? Everybody has to wear a mask. I wish the grocery store would do the same thing. We're back to how long did it take grocery stores to say you cannot bring an AR-15 and open carry in our store unless you're a cop, right? Like, how long did that take? We don't have that kind of time with this pandemic. I, you know, look, I want to, I'm going to change topics for just a second. And this recent article was, was published on CNN's website. And I, I was reading it and I just want to get your views on what you think about this. And I'm going to read a little bit. It says, in the age of coronavirus, young Americans are increasingly fed up with their country. But it seems there is another layer to our newfound dynamic of social distancing. This generation of Zoomers, Generation Z is what they're called, is also feeling increasingly separated from their American identity, where national tragedy has historically inspired heightened patriotism. It's now heightening just how far apart many young Americans feel from the United States. Following 9-11, a group of students at Harvard and Kennedy School Institute of Politics saw a problem. Many young Americans wanted to engage in public service, but they were not nearly as engaged in public policy or politics. Namely, they didn't want to vote in large numbers. Seeking an explanation for this dissonance and hoping to understand how young Americans felt about their place in this country, they created the Harvard Public Opinion Project, the longest running poll for young American attitudes uh, toward politics and public service. Today, we're still investigating how young people feel about America. Earlier this year, we asked ourselves, if we could change one thing about our country, what would it be? And for us, the answer was patriotism. Now, we felt that our generation was losing its enthusiasm about America, and we wondered if this might be might impact our youth political engagement. So we decided to ask that question in the poll, which surveyed 18 to 29-year-olds across the country. And in that survey, questions, uh, and that's uh, let's see, 20 years across the country, and questions in early February, coronavirus felt more like a nuisance than threatened to disrupt our spring break plans not our entire lives. But by the time we fielded the poll, everything had changed. The poll's first day in the field was one day that Harvard decided to send its students home indefinitely. And they realized that, you know, across the board, I mean, I, I, will re I could read this entire article, but it seems like young people are starting to say they don't like politics the way it's being done in America, and they're feeling less and less patriotic because they have to participate in a country that doesn't seem to be able to get anything done and is so politically divided. What do you think about this? Because you spend time working with a lot of youth in your area. So what do you think? I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say that kids are giving up on America, right? I think kids are frustrated, right? They had their school year torpedoed right? They're, they're not dumb, right? They can sit at home and watch on television. And it, it, it's, it's just so painfully obvious, the lack of leadership, right? Kids know that when their president tells them that suggests that maybe injecting Clorox is a good idea to fight a virus, kids know that's not a good idea, right? Like, so while some of their parents, and yes, in some of, and they're, in their, you know, they're invariably kids that get caught up in this cult too, right? 
But, you know, um, I think kids are, this younger generation is much better at critical thinking and quite frankly, reading than their parents' generation and telling truth from fiction. So the challenge is not necessarily to me getting them. Part of the problem is that they also have this attitude that everything should be fair, right? And, you know, we saw this last time, you know, with young people, right? Many of whom fell in love with Bernie. It's their first sort of political love of their lives, right? And Bernie has now lost twice with Democratic voters, right? Because I think a lot of people don't really, there's no aptitude for, there's no appetite for a revolution in this country. They're stuck. And, you know, they're now back in a paradigm where they're being told by older people what to do instead of their idea, right? And I think that that's backfiring a little bit. But what we really need is for these kids to vote. They could take over the country. They have the numbers of 18 to 25-year-olds, 18 to 30-year-olds, say, voted 100%, right? They could outvote my generation, your generation, our parents' generations. I mean, you know, they have a tremendous amount of power that they're not exercising. You just said that, you know, the 18 to, 19, 18 to 29 year olds don't have much of, a, of an appetite for revolution. But when you take a look at some of these websites that are out here in this country right now that are supporters of the current administration, there's a lot of them asking for and begging for revolution. Different kind of revolution, right? Like, you know, some of those people on the right, right, are actually literally, when they're talking, when people on the far right are talking about revolution, they mean this goofy racial holy war or this thing they call sovereign citizens, where they're so sure they have the right to do just about anything, including shoot police officers at the side of the road, right? So one thing, and you bring up an interesting point that reminds me, what we ought to be talking about dangerous-wise in this country is these radicalized white people with guns that are playing soldier in the forest on the weekends, waiting to shoot at police officers or government, right? This notion that the greatest danger police officers face is for black men in this country is completely out of step with reality. Right. If I were a cop, I would be much more worried pulling over a young white male in a place where there's a lot of militia type stuff than I ever would be pulling over a black kid. The worst that's going to happen with a black kid is they're going to run away. Right. Like I've literally watched these people and then there's tape of it. Right. I've watched them kill a Texas state trooper. Right. Walks up, pulls over a guy from speeding, blows him away with a bunch of shotgun blasts. Right. Like, yes. It, it, a lot of people are getting focused on the fact that they're angry black people on the streets, right? And the racism is just going through the roof. And this younger generation finds it and sees it as toxic as it is, right? And, you know, some of them have even taken to calling out their parents, right? Like, and that's a tough place to be in, right? And I think um, the ideas that gave rise to this presidency are dying, right? The people that have them right? The people that vote for them and the ideas themselves are dying. But, I, but, but John, I, and you know, again, so people who are tuning in right now, they got to understand that John and I go through these kind of conversations a couple times a day where mm -hmm. I, I like to at least challenge them on, on ideas. But when you look at, you know, our current Senate, I mean, there are so many Republican senators who are just as quiet as they can be. You know, even when this week we hear that, you know, the president of the United States turned his back on information talking about the fact that his homeboy, Putin, actually allowed for the payment of the murder of U.S. soldiers. You know, remember, he said he's the greatest president ever for our U.S. military, but he turned his back on the U.S. military and allowed, you know, uh, a, a foreign entity to pay 
bounties on the lives of U.S. service members and said nothing and still has not said anything to date. And he'll probably come out and say, well, President Putin said it wasn't true. Stop. And there are still people who support this guy. Yeah. And, and what's amazing to me, right, right, their defense to this whole Russian bounty scandal, right, is not so much that the president didn't know, right? That, well, it is that the president didn't know. It's that he didn't read it, right? According, it, apparently it was in the February 27th daily brief. Why didn't he read it? Every other president in lifetime, you know, and instead, right, his solution, apparently Jared Kushner is one of the, 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 the largest consumers of intelligence in the White House, like looking at intelligence from the PDB, right? So we have a, a, a born on third base, 35-year-old, you know, who, who's in a family business as slumlords, right? We're relying on him to read the nation's intelligence because his father-in-law is illiterate? That's where we're at. And Jared doesn't seem to care. Now, again, we got a guy I who- I never thought Jared, I've always thought Jared was a nihilist, right? And it's part of the way he grew up, right? And, you know, his father is a nihilist, right? Jared is cut from the exact same cloth as his father, right? And, and no, let nobody think that that means that I'm talking about their religion, right? I am talking about a guy who went to prison, right, for cheating on, you know, he's a billionaire, went to prison for cheating on six figures worth of taxes. And at the same time, took a video you know, hired a prostitute to seduce his sister's husband in a motel room in New Jersey and mailed it to her on the day of her son's graduation because she was talking to the FBI. That's the cloth that Jared's cut from. And this is the guy who is making a decision about what the president says about a bounty on the head of those who serve to defend our democracy. You know what I thought was funny over the weekend? That, that too, right? But they're now saying, right, when he put up the white power tweet on Sunday and called out for Tim Another Scott. Another one. I mean, if you're going to bring it up, let's talk about it. A lot of people may not know that, you know, over the weekend, the president retweeted a video of a group of people who were driving in golf carts screaming white power, white power, white power, and claim that he didn't hear the words white power, which is the first words in the video that he retweeted, which is absolutely insane to me. What, may, what blows my mind is there's a story now. They are now running around to reporters, right? NBC wrote a story last night, and it says for three hours, they couldn't find Donald, right, or his golf caddy, who is now the deputy chief of staff, right, after, to get them to take down the white power tweet, right? And it took three hours to reach him. And I'm thinking to myself, right, I've worked in government, right? White House Signal can find the president at any time. There's Secret Service agents everywhere. How come nobody called Signal, nobody called the Secret Service Operations Center at the White House and said, we need the president, right? How come the chief of staff, this Mark Meadows fellow who was supposed to save everything, right, didn't get on the phone to the Secret Service and say, have one of the agents go tell the president we need to talk to him? Apparently, the president put down his phone. But he picks up his phone immediately when Erdogan was it, right? Or Erdogan, right? Erdogan scares me more than Putin, right? Because... You know, Putin is a master tactician. Erdogan is emotional. Um, you know, he's much more like Nicolas Maduro than he is like Putin. Um, you know, he's a blowhard and, you know, a bully. And, you know, the notion that the Turkish dictator is calling the president with no filtering through the National Security Council is not good for America, right? We know that 
you know, he is emotionally fragile, right? During this pandemic, as everybody was criticizing him, they put him on the phone with third world leaders and junior partners all over the world where he gave six ventilators and was, you know, hailed as if he should win the, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize, right? That is this presidency, is the staff managing the president's emotions. And that's a very dangerous place to be. And, you know, do I believe that he might not have heard white power? Sure, he's that clueless, right? I do believe that maybe he didn't hear it, right? But for three hours, even if he didn't hear it, it just goes to the notion of how stupid it is to let the president of the United States have access to his own Twitter. Somebody should be typing these messages for him and saying to him, Mr. President, that's a dumb idea. Yeah, but at the same time, nobody has stepped in to literally be the, you know, the playground monitor. The adult babysitter. Yeah, yeah, the adult babysitter. There is no well, adult babysitter. Well, I mean, apparently they tried to stage an intervention with him a couple of weekends ago, and his response was, I still have to be me, right? The problem is not that he hasn't changed course. The problem is he can't. He's, in, he's constitutionally unable to change course. This is who he is. He's an asshole, a bigot, an incompetent, and illiterate. Right. And there's just a lot of evidence to back that up. And I don't feel like that about any other president in my lifetime. Certainly not any of the Republican presidents. Two of them are my heroes. But if you can say that, there are so many other people who should recognize that. And they don't seem to care because he gives them license to be bigots. He gives them license to be haters. He gives them license to be thieves. Because I'm not saying I think if you just take a look at it, I mean, in the last four years, more of the Republican senators and Congress senators and congressmen made more money than they made in their entire lifetimes under this guy. I think their followers are tribalists, right? This tribe, this is a toxic tribalism, right? Where they will literally, if it wasn't Donald Trump, I mean, keep in mind when Judge Roy Moore won, ran in Alabama last year or last cycle in 18, right? Republicans in Alabama almost elected a credibly accused child molester who was banned from a mall for stalking little girls while he and trying to date them while he was in his mid 30s. Right. You know, they almost elected him because he's a Republican. And that's crazy to me. I would never vote for a candidate who had been banned from a shopping mall for trying to date little girls in his 30s. John, I got to tell you, man, I'm going to have to have you back. You know that, right, my friend? I have fun with this. Thanks for having me. And just so everybody's clear one last time, we're going to just prove that I'm not dead and this isn't fake news. Like, if you look here, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. You're in 99. Now, now somebody's going to say, yeah, but I was watching. Every time he took it without the mask on, it was 99. As soon as he put the mask on, it went down to 96. Does that mean that he lost three percentage points? It probably means that this thing that I bought from iHealth uh, a couple of years ago uh, for $29.99 is in hospital quality, but the, 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 the normal range is 92 to like 99. So um, I'm, I feel just fine. I don't feel like I'm going to faint or anything. And I just like my plea to people, if you want your kids to go back to school, get over yourself, get over yourself. If you want to go back to work, if you want to go to a shopping mall, if you want to have a normal time, we can't pretend this doesn't exist. It'll kill us. Wear a damn mask. Wear a damn mask. All right, my friend. Thanks so much for being a part of us today. Make sure you tune into the next Let's Be Blunt with Montana. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. 
Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.